Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. There's something, this magical quality of the surfing culture. Absolutely. And that that resonates beyond California. So why do you think that is? Why isn't it just that Surfing USA or California Girls? Why wasn't it only popular in California? We just got back from Europe. 50 years ago, on June, was it, 19th, we played in what was called Czechoslovakia. They were, they were invaded the year before by the Soviet troops, Russian, East German, Polish, a couple others. When we flew in from London, on one side of the runway was the MiG jets, and the other side was the Russian tanks. And I looked out the windows and I said, holy shit, this is, this is the most intimidating landing I've ever been on. And we were welcomed like heroes there because we represent America, rock and roll, freedom, therefore. And then we got back there 50 years later and it's now the Czech Republic and there's freedom. And there's a documentary called Free to Rock. And uh, the premise of it is rock music helped bring freedom to that part of the world. And we're in it. And it was amazing to go back to identical place 50 years later to a place that's free and no Soviet domination anymore. What's that? Always the performer. You're... Well, no, I mean, look at this. This is great. This is fantastic. Excuse me, but I'm a little nervous. I don't think I've ever been podcasted before. Just be Podcast gentle, okay? Podcast is the best format possible. You're in good hands. We're, we're going to take right. care of you here. Okay. All right, so, what are we promoting here? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Poland Spring Water for the Poland Spring Beach Boys Tour. You still, you still have the name Beach Boys when you tour, correct? That's true. So when you... When or you, in Spain, it's Chicos de la Playa. There you go. So uh, when, you, when you leave here and tour, you tour as the Beach Boys? Yeah. Okay, and, you, and just to mention, you have an album. You're 70 years. Your latest album just came out like last Thursday, 12 Sides of Summer. Where's the CD? Uh, we have a bunch of them. Where's, where's the CD? I want to show it on the podcast. Uh, we'll show I mean, it. It's beautiful art. Yeah. My, my son, Brian, uh, did the photo. He's, he's a National Geographic kind of... He goes, he goes out and takes photos. He got the uh, Aurora Borealis in an island off of, of uh, Norway in February. I said, haven't you ever heard of Polynesia? 
I mean, it's 90 degrees year round. I mean, but he went to freezing ass cold island off of Norway. That's where he took that? This, this is his, um, his photo that he took. I assume that was in California. Love, and it's 12, 12 sides of summer. Or, or as they say in Espanol, doce lados de verano. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we're trying to be multicultural here if you didn't get. Look at this guy's got my shirt on. Good, good vibration. Stand up, turn around. Turn that, turn, show James. You see that? See the girl on that is the girl on that is my my son took the photos. My girl uh, Amba, my my daughter Amba, um, she she modeled for that. Oh really? That's she, 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 did you know to to get that for she, this? Yeah. Oh cool. That's a, a good vibration shirt. And I, and my daughter Amba said, Dad, I wish I was a, a hippie in the '60s. I said. If you'd have been around in the 60s, you'd be in your 60s, so be happy where you are. Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that. I'm, oh, I'm curious first about the very beginnings. Do you mind if I ask you about the, the very beginning? So you and your cousins were That's hanging right. out all through your childhood, harmonizing right. on Sunday nights with That's each right. other while your aunt played the piano or Brian played the piano or whoever. Yeah. And then in 1961, you use a home recording studio, you make surfing, yeah. and your very first song, you're like 19 years old, you were the oldest of them, you're, you're 19 years old, you have a, a song that charts in the top 100 on Billboard as your very first song. I think I'm, a, that's incredible, it's, I'm jealous. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone, not that I was, not that I'm, um, well, you look is, at all the rejection in every career, and you guys are just like, eh, let's just make a song that's gonna be, in the top 100 in the world. Well, you know, that's true. We were very fortunate. Um, but I'll tell you, to make it a little more interesting, the guy that signed us to his record company, it was called Candix Records, he paid us a total of $900, and he declared bankruptcy. He was running the, 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 his company out of the back of his car, Surfing, the song Surfing, which we re-recorded on this one, 12 Sides of Summer. It's, surfing uh, went to, it was like a big record in LA. It was like, and, and Vegas and Minneapolis. Uh, but then that was it. I mean, it's, on the basis of that, it did chart though. But he, he declared bankruptcy, didn't pay us, but that liberated us to go to Capital EMI, which EMI is around the world, right? The Capital was their division in the United States. They also had a group from England called the Beatles. Small group. We're gonna yeah. get to them. That's, okay. two, that's two years away. But, so, so, but so that was Surf and Safari. That I was the oldest, only person who signed that contract, who was who was 21. Everybody else was younger and had to have court approval. So, yeah. So we we did pretty well. 62 was um, Surf and Safari. 63 Surfing USA. There's some other songs along the way. And so Surfing USA was your first top 10 hit. Hit it number like three number, in Billboard. Is it only three? Uh, only three, yes. I demand I'm... a recount. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, you know, right out the gate, though, you guys were so successful. You had a unique sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, maybe is, you know, you're all related, right? You, Brian Dennis. Wilson, Dennis, yeah. Carl. There was so this, when you were yeah. harmonizing, do you think it was almost genetically that you guys harmonized so well together, plus the practice put okay, in? Okay, the deal is... My mom came from Kansas when she was about five years old on a train. They were so broke that they, they 
camped on a beach in Southern California when they first got there because they didn't have any money to buy a house or let alone rent a house. And my grandfather, Wilson, was a plumber. He would go around and work in different oil fields, different places. <clears throat> so my grandmother had uh, nine children, eight lived to maturity, one of them being my mother, Emily Glee Wilson, and my, and my uncle, Murray Gage Wilson. Murray Gage was the father of Brian Dennison Carl Wilson. So we grew up, the thing that held them together was music. My mom sang in light opera in high school on the radio, it was a big deal. My, my uncle sang a, a quartet. So we grew up in an atmosphere of music and even though they were broke, they were so, you know, that, that side of the family was really not doing well, but they had music and they loved music. And so I grew up in this atmosphere of loving music and loving harmonies in particular, getting together and harmonizing together. It had nothing to do with money, it had nothing to do with getting famous, zero. But it was, we go to Wednesday night youth night at Angelus Mesa Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church and Brian and I and my sister would sing Everly Brothers on the way back or we'd sing doo-wop and, um, and all that kind of thing. So it was really just the love of harmony. And, and doing that, did, when did you first get indication that, you know, so like, like Brian Wilson, your cousin, you guys are almost like the Lennon-McCartney of American music. When did you first get the indication that, oh my gosh, Brian is really good at putting these harmonies together in these kind of fugue state? There was nobody better than sitting down at the piano and, okay, he developed an, a, a, a fixation and I have a fascination with a group called the Four Freshmen. They did this remarkable harmony. If nobody's ever checked out the Four Freshmen, you'll blow your mind on how good of singers they are and what the chord progressions were. And the, they called it modern harmony back then. It was kind of a jazzy kind of a thing. I call it carbon dated harmony now. <laughs> but, 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 we, but yes, because I, so I listened to the Four Freshmen and some of the songs that, that you know, you descended, that you guys did that descended from them. You guys have more, they harmonized very well, but there wasn't that extra oomph, that no, power. No, the, the oomph came from rock and roll. The oomph came from Chuck Berry and, you know, uh, the doo-wop thing, too, and R&B. So we were influenced by R&B, doo-wop, Chuck Berry. Um, the Everly Brothers are a big deal for us. Um, you know, we loved all that rock and roll music, so we blended all the influence of, of the Chuck Berry licks. He was a big influence on me writing fun, 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 let's say. Well, she got her daddy's car and she cruised through the hamburger stand now. Seems she, seems she forgot all about the library like she told her old man now. Or when some- Are you talking about my daughter? What? Was that? Uh, you were talking about my daughter for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, the, the, the thing is, it, the way he syncopated and wrote his lyrics and made these little stories, that was huge. I, I, so it's called alliteration in English, you know, like the English class, alliteration. Well, even, even before Fun, 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 in Surfing USA, you basically take a Chuck Berry song and add your, you know, you and Brian add your style of yeah. harmonizing, because Chuck Berry was just his single voice. You've got the four voices, yeah. you're, you're yeah. double recording over them to, yeah. to strengthen them, and then you writing the kind of aspirational California lyrics totally added to the Chuck Berry song. That was a, a, a great formula for creating that first top 10 hit. It was, you see, it was our environment informed by the musical influences we, we had, and then we sound the way we sound. My cousin Brian had an amazing falsetto, you know, amazing. I mean, at the end of Fun, 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 it's like, 
you're lucky if you don't get a speeding ticket when that takes <laughs> off. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. You know, it blew our minds every time we sang. But songs like In My Room and Surfer Girl and, and Don't Worry Baby, I mean, I mean that, that high part, I would sing the bass on those. Now don't, now don't you worry, baby. Or, you know, just the, uh, the Warmth of the Sun, written in November of 1963. We were awakened to the news that President Kennedy had been taken to the hospital. Yeah, and we recorded that a month or so later. On January 1st, we recorded it, and it was like, wow. I mean, the whole country was, you know, like in shock, or at least, you know, we were. And um, so that song, although we did not change the lyrics to conform to that event, it still has the emotion. And, and you can hear it in the, in the grooves of the record recording. So when, so you guys officially kind of started in late 61 with, with Surfing. Mm -hmm. Again, first top 10 hit was about a year and a few months later with Surfing USA. When did you say to yourself, you know what? I think this is it. I think I'm going to be the biggest rock star in history. No, 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 no. I'm going to have a shot at That's, it. That other people are the biggest rock star in history. We're, we're a rock group that did some historical songs. But, um, you know, the boss is the big rock star. Come on, let's face it. You know, Bruce, Bruce right? Come on. I, how many albums? I don't know how many albums he sold, but it's not as no, many no, no, as the Beach Boys. It's not about that. It's just uh, I didn't ever look at ourselves as rock stars. I, I looked at uh, the guys next door who sang our asses off. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. But you know, it's interesting though. You bring up him, him up because your your the lyrics of both and the feeling of both mm -hmm. is very much about mm -hmm. the geography, the demographic mm -hmm. where oh, you come yeah, from, right. and aspirational. Like mm -hmm. there's something this magical quality of the surfing culture. And for Bruce Springsteen, there's this magical quality of like Absolutely. blue collar New Jersey. Absolutely. And that, that resonates beyond California, beyond New Jersey, obviously. Sure. So what, sure why do you does. think that is? Why isn't it just that Surfing USA was only popular in Cal or California girls? Why wasn't it only popular in California? We just got back from Europe. 50 years ago on June, was it 19th, we played in what was called Czechoslovakia. They were, they were invaded the year before by the Soviet troops, Russian, East German, Polish, a couple others. When we flew in from London, on one side of the runway was the MiG, MiG jets, and the other side was the Russian tanks. And I looked out, the windows were landing, and I said, holy shit, this is, <laughs> this is the most intimidating landing I've ever been on. I mean, and, and, and we were welcomed like heroes there because we represented America, rock and roll, freedom, therefore. And then we, get, we got back there 50 years later, this very same identical hall, which was built in 1920 or something. Doesn't even have an elevator. You have to carry all your stuff up and down. Anyway, we came back, and it's now the Czech Republic, and there's freedom. And there's a, there's a, there's a uh, documentary called Free to Rock, and uh, it has, the premise of it is rock music helped bring freedom to that part of the world. And we're in it. And it was amazing to go back to the identical place 50 years later to a place that's free and, and not, no, no Soviet domination anymore. Do you think, do you think the, Cal, you know, California always represented kind of the frontier, yeah. mythical and, and real yeah. of, you know, the U.S. growth. It, it represented more than just 
the state. And then the surfing culture on top of that, that you could just sort of lie around and then go surfing and, you know, it's beautiful, athletic, it's, everybody's good looking and pretty. And, and you guys were writing about it. You were kind of sharing a culture yeah. around the world. It's, it represented even more than freedom. It was like, you, yeah. could, you could live this unbelievable lifestyle now. For the first time. You said aspirational, yeah. Right. It, it, it's true. In, in advertising... And none of you guys even surfed. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. I can honestly say I'm a shitty surfer. <laughs> but I sing about it really well. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Those, the, guys, the guys who are the, the, the surfers, they're the greatest athletes. I, de I defy anybody in the NBA or the NFL to surf like those guys do. Those guys are, the guys that are great are unbelievable. We have some footage of um, uh, some of the biggest big wave surfer in, in the world. He, every night, he's, he's done a, he did a, a, a video to surf in USA, okay? So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, what's interesting in Surfing USA and also California Girls, you wrote the lyrics to all these yeah. songs, is you're very diplomatic. You're not just talking about surfing in California or girls in California. Oh, no. You kind of, kind of go around the country in the we lyrics. Do. And around the world. We say, in Surfing USA, uh, Waimea Bay is Hawaii, but we talk about uh, surfing in, you know, in Australia too. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, you were writing the lyrics. What made you think, you know what, I better talk about East Coast girls as well <laughs> before I get into the California girls. We had been touring for a few years. It was 1965, and my cousin Brian's in the studio with what they called the Wrecking Crew. And the reason they were called the Wrecking Crew is because the, the, the traditional musicians who played in symphonies and stuff like that and big bands, they thought they were going to wreck the business. But, but the Wrecking Crew was some of the greatest artists. I mean... Glenn Campbell was one of them. He was an amazing guitarist. He never even had a lesson. He just learned it. Um, and so my cousin Brian was in the studio, Studio 3 at Western Recorders on Sunset Boulevard with the Wrecking Crew doing the, the track, uh, the instrumentation to California Girls. I took my legal line paper out in the, in the hallway and said, well, East Coast girls are hip. I really dig the styles they wear. <laughs> And the Southern girls, with the way they talk, they knock me out when I'm down there. The Midwest farmer's daughters really make you feel all right. And the Northern girls, with the way they kiss, keep their boyfriends warm at night. I thought it was poetry that related, you know? But, and, a, I mean, and very democratic I admit, of you being, to, I admit being inspired by the girls all around the world and around the country. Uh, I'm guilty as charged. And, and, and a good job, I will say, in a, in, the, in a nice way, pandering to make sure, hey, don't, don't leave anyone out. Did, did he say pandering? And it doesn't have something to do with what's going on in the corner down there or something like that. <laughs> and it worked out. Like, this, everybody, get, everybody gets a piece of the song. I, uh, I wish we could change the word pandering to something right, else. Uh, you were very gracious to everyone. That's a lot better. <laughs> So, so again, like at what point was it? Was it after Surfing USA? Okay, no. The the, you, to get to the answer to your question, we're in Minneapolis. Okay, where Surfing was number one, and Surfing Safari was a big hit. Okay, at that time of our career, 
we would have a station wagon and a U-Haul, and we would carry an, uh, our, and set up and break down our own equipment. I played the saxophone. We played Midnight Sun and different songs, you know, am I, or Let's Go Trip. And you don't have all your own songs when you first start out. That's why the Beatles did rock and roll music. The Stones did, uh, you know, Blues. Route 66 and whatever. So, so we did, did our thing. There was four sets. They sold out. They were breaking the windows to get in. On a second, after a second set, we had two more to go. We, we took a break went out and, and saw the lights down the road for like a mile. You, could see, you couldn't see the end of the lights. They were trying to, it was already sold out. They wouldn't let any more people in. And I, went, I, said, to them, I said to my cousin, I said, this must be what it was like when Elvis started out. <laughs> you know, because I had no frame of reference. I mean, it was, you know, it was on Lake Minnetonka, which is this beautiful place uh, in Minnesota. And was this before Surfing USA came out? Yeah. So it's really early on. And then yeah. what, did, what, what, did it was, what did your cousin say back to you? What's that? What did your cousin say no, back? No, I, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember that one. But then... But I then, remember what I felt like and what I saw, you know. And then I imagine a few months later, the Beatles hit the U.S. The British invasion Who? starts. <laughs> I, I almost was going to say the Bee Gees, but I was going to leave that joke for later. So <laughs> that's Australia. Yeah, there you go. So, so land when, of convicts. When when the when the Beatles hit, they were to some extent you guys were rivaling each other even on the U.S. charts. They were the Absolutely. only ones uh, above you on for many songs. And what was what was the initial reaction? You're already like the best American band, the best-selling American band in in the U.S. The Beatles come in with something new somehow. What do you think it was that, you know, propelled them to be even, you know, people were, were fascinated. There was, you know, people would mob the airports when they would land. Oh, yeah. We, we got mobbed in England when we landed. Actually, in 1966, Good Vibrations went to number one in Great Britain. Before here, even. No, it was here. It was number one, too. But it was number one there, and we were voted the number one group in Great Britain, number two being the Beatles, number four, the Stones. Oh, so that must have felt good. <laughs> So no, I'm just but, I'm just saying facts, you know. Right. So, so in 19, in This is not a political poll. This is facts. So, in 1963, though, the the, the Beatles are starting to to yeah. rise up here. Did and you and and you know you and and Brian Wilson was also saying maybe the California sound we should we should experiment a little bit more. You were well, trying we did, to, in fact, right with Pet Sounds with the album exactly. Pet Sounds starting with that and then Good right. Vibrations. Right. But what? Uh, you know, you know, was it in terms of rivalry with the Beatles that propelled you to this there, thinking? What it was, is a, it was a mutual admiration thing going on. Because they would come out with Revolver, and, and you know, we would come out with something. They'd, we came out with Pet Sounds, they came out with uh, Sgt. Peppers. In fact, the Rolling Stone magazine had, did a coffee table book several years ago with the 500 top rock albums. I think that's a lot to absorb. But number one was, was um, Sgt. Pepper, and number two out of 500 was Pet Sounds. And I said, I demanded a recount, but what are you going to do? <laughs> and so the interesting thing with Pet Sounds is when it first came out in the U.S., Capital, your, your label, released a week beforehand a Best of the Beach Boys compilation. Correct. Forcing down, uh, Pet Sounds didn't chart as well. Uh, Brian Wilson was disappointed. 
Somebody said that I said, don't fuck with the formula. And that's such a lie because I name pet sounds. See, at the end of the record, if, if you remember, there's a dog barking at a train going by. I said, well, why don't we call it pet sounds? Which is a double entendre, as they say in France, right? It's a double meaning, right? And then I went with, with Brian to present it to Capitol Records. The A&R guy was one of the nicest guys you've ever met in the business. His name is Carl Engeman. He ended up um, uh, managing the, uh, um, the group from Utah. What's that group that... Uh, the Mormons? What? What? No, Osmonds. Osmonds. They were so famous, it's ridiculous. Did so many great records. Anyway, they didn't know what to do with Pet Sounds. He said, he listens to the album, he says, gee, that's great, guys, but couldn't you do something more like California Girls or I Get Around or, you know? They were used to the formula, formulaic hits and nothing wrong with them. We came back with Good Vibrations and went to number one. But Pet Sounds, they didn't know how to treat it. So, and Good Vibrations was initially going to be put on Pet Sounds, right? And somehow it was like off the album? I'm not sure. I'm not, it, Brian took his time coming up with the, 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 the tracks. He'd, do, he'd try different studios for different sounds, different sections and stuff. On Good Vibrations? Yeah, on Good Vibrations. And, and, and that's interesting because, so Good Vibrations, I think it took 22 studio sessions to Something record. Like that, it wasn't yeah. just like everybody going in the studio and singing. Yeah, and he'd, he'd hire like all these musicians, of... and then, then you know, he wasn't satisfied, so he went to an, another five studios. It and was like, crazy. I think when, when we think about good vibrations now, we, we, we immediately associate it with the Beach Boys and many of your other songs, but it's such a different song when you actually take it apart. There's so many different yeah. odd parts to oh, it yeah. that weren't in music then yeah. and influenced... The, the Beatles, the Stones, everybody uh, afterwards. It was the, well, it was the psychedelic era or the beginnings of it, this uh, flower power, summer of love and all that kind of stuff. It was our psychedelic anthem. And uh, I envision uh, a, a hippie chick with, with, you know, colorful clothes and the bandana and all. And, you know, just I love the colorful clothes she wears and the way the sunlight plays upon her hair. I hear the sound of her gentle voice and the wind that lifts her perfume to her. I, wanted, I was dying to say incense, but I thought Omaha wouldn't go for it. Anyway, it was, so the, the, the bass is going... So I came up, I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. Excitations is not in the Webster's Dictionary, but it rhymes with vibrations. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I think, I think you know, it worked. You know in hindsight, it worked. What? In hindsight, it worked. It, it worked pretty darn well. And you yeah. know, that, that hook that you, that you just sang, that yeah. kind of held together, like each section of that song is completely different from the other sections. There's That's different right. instruments, different chords. I know. Like, well, I came up with that, that, those words and that hook. And then I came up with, I wrote, I dictated the lyrics. I'm on the way to the studio. I didn't, I didn't know if Brian was ever going to figure out when he was finished with doing Good Vibrations, the track. So finally, this is the, the session where we're going to do the, 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 the vocals. I dictated to my, my then wife, Suzanne, who's the mother of Haley and Christian, Christian who's singing with us these days. Um, and I said, take this down. I'm driving. I'm doing, I... I love the colorful clothes she wears <laughs> and the way the sunlight plays upon her hair. <laughs> XKE, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so so I, I wrote the words on the way to the studio. I present them to Brian, he likes them, give them to Carl, 
he sings he sings the lyric, and I do the the I'm picking up that the chorus, and then everybody else is jumping in with the harmonies. Brian doing the high part, and so and Car so. Carl is the I that starts off the song. Ah, I love the clothes, little clothes she wears. Yeah, he's amazing singer. Yeah, he did good. He did God only knows on the Pet Sounds album, and he sang the lead of the verses of Good Vibrations. And we all did the chorus, and I, I, I came up with the hook of the chorus, you know. And so at this point, you're doing a lot of the touring, you and the other band members, right. and Brian, not so much. He was no, he, producing he, and- He left in 64. Glenn Campbell filled in for a few, several months before Bruce Johnston joined us in 65. In fact, the first song Bruce sang with us was California Girls, yeah. Yeah. And, and you guys have been touring ever since? <laughs> we came back from Japan and Brian had recorded all the tracks for the Pet Sounds album. So I wrote a couple of words for a couple of the songs and uh, a guy named Tony Asher did a fantastic job doing God Only Knows and, and several other songs on the album. And so uh, was, there, was this the beginning, would you say, of kind of a or was there ever any musical split between you and Brian? I mean, you were on the road a lot. It was a lifestyle. No, it was a lifestyle split. Because mm -hmm. whereas I gravitated towards meditation, transcendental meditation, which I learned from Maharishi in December of 67, some other lifestyle choices were taken by my cousin Dennis and, and Brian as well. Carl had some problems for a while, but he got out of it. So, um, you know, some of those... Things are, uh, I mean, Dennis died at 39. That's no good. And, and Carl died 21 years ago from lung cancer, but then he started smoking when he was 12. Mm -hmm. And the statistics are not good. If you, you know, you, man, it's just sad that you, these are your cousins, you know, your first cousins and you're part of the family. It's, I did a, a verbal, I mean, a spoken book, uh, Good Vibrations in My Life as a Beach Boy. Uh, and, and I, they asked me, well, do you want us to get an actor to read it? I said, no, no, it's my... So, so I took four days in my studio at home and recorded it. And when I was talking about, you know, Carl's last uh, night with us on tour, uh, you know, I, I can remember it clearly. I, I got choked up. Yeah. Same thing goes for losing your sister to cancer or your mom. Yeah, these are things we're all affected as human beings by losses in families and stuff, or, you know, terrible things that happen from alcohol or drugs and stuff like that. And, and yet, amidst all this, while these different lifestyle splits were happening, mm -hmm. you essentially held, it, held the band together as this touring entity all through the 70s, 80s, you know, and, and beyond. I, I've always loved the live, live part of it more than the studio. To me, the studio is, is a wonderful thing. It's necessary to, to, do, to gain as perfect uh, a recording as possible. It's impossible in a live setting to make it perfect, but that's part of the beauty of it. It's, it's just natural. But the effect that our music has on people all over the world, in places where English is not their first language, for instance, Japan, We'll start a song, like if you start California Girls, dun, 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 they go, ah, like bonsai or something, you know? 
in Germany, they're, they're stomping along to help me, Rhonda, help. It's Teutonic. You know, it's really amazing all over the world. And help, help me, Rhonda, that was your, your second number one song to, to you know, hit the top of the charts. Yeah. I get around being get, the first. That's right. So, and then Good Vibrations, the third. And then you have this record of the longest period between two number one songs. 22 years. You wrote Kokomo. Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take you. Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. Key Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we go? Jamaica. <laughs> okay, is that cool or what? I'm curious, how many people know, how many people know that Kokomo doesn't actually exist? Hey, in now, easy. <laughs> you know, what are you here to pop bubbles or something? No, it's, a per I mean, it's a perfect word. It's the perfect word for it. No, so what it is, what it is, is uh, John Phillips and the Mamas and Papas, who got the Grammy the, the year, I think the year we, uh, Good Vibrations up for a Grammy, I think they won. And I said, if you can't beat him, join him. So we, we wrote that song. He came up with the verse melody. It went off the floor of the keys. There's a place we used to go. Uh, no, no, us for the keys. There's a place called Kokomo. That's where we used to go to get away from it all. I said, hold on. That sounds like some guy miss, you know, like lamenting his misspent youth or something. Uh, I said, the only thing, change one thing in that line. That's where you want to go to get away from it all. And then Aruba, Jamaica, I came up with Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take it. And Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. So you could be the old codger saying, let's get in the RV and go to Florida. Or you could be the little kid in the kitchen thinking his mama's pretty. And when it, 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 it appeals to all ages. I mean, did you, while you were sort of working on this song, did you think, Okay, this is it. This is going to be our first number one song since no, Good Vibration. No, I had no idea. But we were approached by the director of Cocktail, the movie. And when he heard the demo, he said, this is the best song you had since Good Vibrations. I had no frame of reference. They were just on assignment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and did that, when that song came out, did that create a resurgence in all the old albums? Like, did they suddenly start... Whenever you have a number one record, it, it, it's, it it's resurges things, yes. So how does it work? Like er, early on in the, in the, or in the 60s, I guess it was your uncle sold the catalog. He right? sure did. And so, so what does that exactly mean? Like what, what don't you get if you don't own the catalog of your music? It means you get screwed royally. That's, that's what our uncle did to his sons and his nephew. That's me. And why, why do you think, so he, he sold it to some random... I think his, things were going a little weird. I mean, people in the band, meaning his sons, were, you know, doing things and freaking out a little bit. And doing, he didn't believe that we would last very long, so he sold it for a pittance, really. And, and, and what does that mean, though? Like, when it's played on the radio... It, publishing. The publisher collects the money, and, and then they... they they're supposed to give whatever the, the artist proportion portion is. A lot of times it's half. So uh, on an album, which used to sell albums, that would be maybe five or six cents would come to the publisher and then they'd split it with the writer. Now, if you sell many millions of albums, you can do pretty well. And also there's a thing called 
BMI, Broadcast Music, or ASCAP, which are performance societies. So if something's played on the radio, you get some money from that too. So like, so, right, right. So, so if you don't own the catalog though, do you participate in that at all? Pardon? If you don't own the catalog, like after you sold the catalog of your music, would you participate in any of those? You, get, you still get your writers, but you don't get the publishing money. And the publishing money is worth a couple hundred million. So, so, but all, you know, particularly, you know, there was a period in the 90s where you fought to uh, get your, your rights yeah. as a, you credited correctly as a writer right. on, on about 35 different songs, That's including, right. uh, I think, Some, including Good Vibrations or which ones no, were part of No, Good Vibrations I was getting uh, credit for and Fun, Fun, Fun as well and a few others. Do It Again, for instance, which went to number one and, uh, and Kokomo was number one in Australia for eight weeks. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so no, it was like California Girls, I Get Around, Help Me Rhonda, Surfing USA. I was not given any credit. I wrote all the words to most of those songs. And you, you would, during this period in the 60s, you would confront Brian and say, hey, I noticed we released this. I wrote yeah, the lyrics. Right. And he would say, okay, I'll talk to Uncle that. Murray. And he, say, he would say, my dad screwed up. But see, Brian went through his own changes there. Um, just before the, the, the Sea of Tunes, it was called, was sold. He was, he was having issues, you know, LSD-based issues. And so he was in no kind of shape to protect himself, let alone me. But then how did you, were you able to basically say, you know, to, to Murray or, or even to Brian, even then, hey, let's, let's change, make this change right now. You can't keep postponing it. Brian called me before any lawsuit happened. Brian called me to say, I'd like to uh, uh, you know, rectify this. But he was unable to because he was in a, what they call a conservatorship because he was not allowed to do anything of you know, having to do with anything money-wise. And, and so it, the attorney that represented him at that time felt that because the statute of limitations, meaning the length of time that, it, that had been since I wrote those songs that came out, um, I had no standing. Just forget the morality or the ethics of it all. It's just they were playing the legal game, but uh, I had an attorney who was able to pierce that and, and because of fraud, and fraud tolls the statute of limitations. So it's a little technical, but the point is, I did get credit for those 35 songs. But how did you, how did you prove that, you know, like you, you, oh, you- Brian would say, oh yeah, Mike wrote that. Okay. In court. <laughs> so that's a good way to prove it. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he wrote that. And then his attorneys would freak out and take him out of, <laughs> they, they, you know, they'd take him out of the, and they say, you're gonna go bankrupt if, you know. Yeah. So, so, so this was in the early 90s that you guys settled this. Yeah. In the 70s and 80s, in that 22-year period before number one songs, mm -hmm. you were doing a lot of touring, but was, this, was that the main way you would basically essentially build wealth, like uh, touring around and... Yeah, well, fortunately, I like personal appearances. <laughs> but we, yeah, we've done a ton of them. We've probably done over 6,000 shows. Yeah. All over the place, big and small. I mean, Washington, D.C. on July 4th, in front of a, over a half a million of our closest friends. One year, we did Philadelphia in the afternoon and D.C. in the evening. Uh, and the Philadelphia Inquirer said there were 900,000 people in the street. 
But it wasn't just us. We had a whole, like Joan Jett and the OJs, and we'd have something for everyone. And, and so it was great, some country, some whatever. And um, it, yeah, but the, the, the Beach Boys were the headliners for the July 4th concerts back then. And, and I feel like the numbers are not, I mean, the number of people listening to music is just as high as ever or higher, but I feel like the numbers of bands who show up for concerts are no longer there. Like the music industry obviously has turned upside down in many ways with yeah. streaming and digital and all right. that. What do you think, like as a, um, if a musician is coming up right now, how should they think about their careers? What should they focus on? Uh, first of all, find good management, hopefully. Cross your fingers. But also the, the potential exists to write something and be known worldwide, you know, almost immediately. Uh, in the past, the, you relied upon the record companies to put the money in to promote and work the radio stations and all that. That's no longer necessarily so. I mean, I, I was on the, the, the radio this morning at iHeartRadio, must have talked to a dozen stations, some of which, uh, you know, sublet their stuff out to many more stations. So uh, I still do that. I still, and radio can still play a very important role. In, in your musical career and promotion of your product, your albums, like 12 Sides of Summer. <laughs> I'd like you to hold that, please. Yes. It's your podcast. 12 Sides of Summer, oh. everybody. Came, <laughs> came out just a few days ago. And at 78 years old, and you were, how many, you said hit 106 cities in Europe, you just got back. Something like that. How do you, what do you do every day to kind of, if I did, if I did even visiting the Eiffel Tower, I'm dead for the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's if you slip and trip. <laughs> but no, I, I meditate every day. I have done transcendental, med transcendental meditation since Maharishi taught us in December of 1967. We were in Paris doing a UNICEF show, and that was an incredible show. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton... Marlon Brando and his Titian bride and, and dancers, and Victor Borga, the Danish pianist, the R Russian Red Army Choir, the Turkish Ballet, who'd never been on TV. It was an amazing show for UNICEF. And um, that, that was just amazing. But, but we met, met Maharishi in, in rehearsals. And so the curtain opens, there's Maharishi in the middle of the first row with George Harrison on one side and John Lennon on the other side. I said, that's a hell of a first row right there. <laughs> Whoa. So, but, but uh, we left um, and went to England. And then my, I get a call from my cousin Dennis, who was still back in Paris. He says, you got to come back to Paris. I said, well, why is that? He says, Maurice is going to teach us to meditate. I said, are you sure? He says, uh, I think so. So he called back. He said, yeah, it's, it's on tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, he's going to give us a lecture. And so I, we went back to the uh, airport in London. We'd just been there the day before and flew into Paris. It's not that far. It's an hour. And um, it was a Sunday. And uh, you're supposed to bring fruit, flowers, and, and a queen clean white cloth for the initiation ceremony. It's a traditional ceremony. So we got fruit and, and flowers, flowers from the flower sellers and, and, and the and clean white napkins from, from room service. 
And sure enough, he gave us a lecture, then told us to go and rest, and brought us back and, and initiated us, taught us TM. It was the most relaxing thing I'd ever experienced. And I figured it's so simple that everyone could do it. And if everyone did it, it'd be an entirely different world. And uh, you've been doing this twice a day yeah. ever since. I even went to a teacher training course. I went to a six-month-long meditation course because he came out with an advanced program called the TM City Program. So, yeah, I, I, I benefited greatly from it. I, I wouldn't be able to sit here and, and, and do this today and have done all this stuff this morning. And, and the Balloon Festival yesterday afternoon in Reddington, New Jersey, it's been really a lot of a big help for me. So... In 2012, you had this amazing reunion concert. Mm -hmm. Brian Wilson was there. Uh, everybody who was still around from the original set of originals. Whoever was around was around, yeah. yeah. Al Jardine, David Marks, myself, and Bruce, yeah. And then um, afterwards, you continued touring. Do you think Brian Wilson would have liked to have continued touring with you guys? I think he would have liked to continue touring with me, but it's... You know, his, his whole situation is so tough, you know, but health-wise and, the, you know, he's not doing that great lately. And he like, had to uh, cancel some touring and stuff. So, like, if, if he were, if Brian Wilson were to call you up today and say, Mike, let's get the band back together, let's write some songs. If he was able to, I would say, okay, and well, then we're going to this health retreat and we're going to do, we're going to write and, and get, be healthy, Brian. That's what we do. I wouldn't do it just because to, to, because the agents could make money on it or something. Or we, you know, that's not where I'm coming from. I, the, my, my criterion would be his health and well-being. And do you think if he if he hadn't started like what's there's always an interesting relationship between you know mental health and creativity and artistry. Yeah. Do you think that was somehow part of his ability to hear all these different harmonies and then put them down on paper and then create them in the studio? Like, do you think if, if he had managed to hold on to mental health uh, in the 70s, 80s, you think you guys would have been able to make newer, better songs? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think the, though, there's a relationship between his issues and the, 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 you know, the way he put together some of these songs? Some people can drink a cocktail or a beer or a wine or anything and be fine. They can, some people can drink two or three or five of them and maybe the worst you'd have is you feel a little headachey in the morning or something. But some people do the same amount of drinking and it destroys their life and their families. And so it's a biochemical thing. Some people have taken LSD and they're just fine to tell about it. But uh, some people have taken it and it pushed them over the edge uh, psychologically. So, you know, you, you can't tell uh, what, what, what the adverse effects are going to be. Um, and and it's, it's not worth finding out, I don't think. So I, I think that people are creative in spite of some of those things rather, not, rather than because of. Now, with... Um you know, it's interesting. You guys created so many top 10 hits in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you had the number one hit in the 80s. Mm -hmm. What do you think kept you persistent artistically in the 70s and 80s? Not that you weren't creating, because you were, yeah. but people would probably always shout out, oh, sing Good Vibrations, sing I don't mind that. I love those songs. Mm -hmm. I have no problem at all doing 
our first song, Surfing, Surfing Safari, Surfing USA, I Get Around, Fun, 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 Help Me Run, the California Girls. What's the problem? You know, I, right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, some people, I've heard of people that don't want to do all their hits. They want to just do their new album. I said, okay, uh, uh, you know, whatever, that's what you want to do, fine. But I love those songs. But, you know, I don't feel trapped by them or, or required to do them. I love doing them. But I also want to do some of them are, are newer recordings. Like I did a song, it's a tribute to George Harrison when he died. It's called Pisces Brothers. And we just did his song, Here Comes the Sun, on 12 Sides of Summer. Here Comes the Sun. I see it right now, the, 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 the words. And uh, on 12 Sides of Summer That's right. by Mike Love just came out. What, 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 you release this on a CD. What's, uh, what's, do you ho hope that people aren't going to buy the CD anymore? No, no, they will. They will. A lot of people. <laughs> Nobody has a CD player. No, because this is tangibility and it's visually beautiful. So, you know, I mean, that's hard to get on a cell phone, you know. That's true. Yeah. So, well, Mike, Mike Love, I want to thank you for myself for almost 60 years of amazing oh. music. I listen to the music all the time, oh, that, all the you. songs. Thank you. Everything. Yeah. I'm sure everyone here agrees. <laughs> This, this audience rocks. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for thank, joining thank the you. podcast. I really thank appreciate it, and thank you again. You're, you're, you're more than welcome, and I hope we can do it again sometime. It was really amazing. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So, also, you can get a free digital download of 12 Sides of Summer. And uh, you go to mikelove2.bandcap. Oh, get them right here. Okay. Yeah, this be sure to a better pick, place to get If you them. want an album, pick, pick it up. You get a digital download. But don't forget to order the CD from Amazon so you can give it, give it out to 10 of your best friends.